We are in uh, Genesis 29. You can turn there. We'll be reading verses 1 through 14. Listen to the Lord of our God. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field. And behold, three flocks of sheep laying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go. Pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Laban saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the uh, well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we ask that the Spirit would illuminate the text for us, that he would open our eyes to our own condition as well. Help us to see our sin and our Savior, sin and grace, unbelief and faith. May your word accomplish your good purposes among us this morning. Be with uh, those who are experiencing a restless spirit this morning, quieting them by your love, that they may be able to hear, to listen, believe. We ask this in the name of Jesus, who is our righteousness, wisdom, and sanctification. Amen. Recently, Amy chose a movie. It's her birth month, so that means that she gets to choose the movies that we see. So she picked one out for us, and I will not give you the name of the movie, lest I ruin the plot for anybody. But uh, what happens in this movie is that there is a man who's in an accident. And what happens uh, as it plays out, as it becomes apparent, is that he had assumed an identity, and when he recovered from his coma, he thought that that identity was his real identity, and he began to live out that person's life. And everything was different. No one believed that he was who he said he was, which is because he really wasn't. But nonetheless, he acted on his sense of identity. 
the one that, that he thought was real and was true, we always act upon our sense of identity, who we think we are. Jacob is going to live out who he thinks he is. He's going to act in a way that is in agreement with how he sees himself and how he understands himself. We all do this. Our big idea this morning is that God-changed heart overflows in gratitude, prayer, and discernment. As I was studying the text this week, I came across Calvin's comments about this, and he commends Jacob for an extraordinary faith. And I thought, did I read the same text Calvin read? (laughs) I don't see a man here of extraordinary faith. What's most, what stands out to me most is what is missing from this text. And what is missing from this text is God. Not that God is absent, but the mention of God is absent from this text. Jacob had just had the spiritual experience at Bethel, one in which he had a, he dreamed and he saw a vision of God. He received the promises of God, both the reaffirmation of the the covenant that God made and uh, the promises from Genesis 12 that were remade in the covenant in 15 and 17, but also personal promises that God was going to protect him, watch over him, guard him, bring him back. But we don't see a change of character in Jacob. What's striking to me is, I don't know when Jacob was converted, to use you know, kind of our common lingo. It could have been at Bethel, but it may have been more likely when he was wrestling at the Jabbok. We don't know. But what I see is that at this point, he's still the same guy before, as he was when he left his house. He's not changed. He seems to have forget this experience he had at Bethel, and he continues to live out as Jacob, his identity, the supplanter, the schemer, the one who grasps the heel. He's not changed yet. And so as I think about this text, and what, what is God sort of doing here in this particular passage, I, I see Jacob as functioning as, as a negative example for Israel for when they enter the land. And so he also functions as a negative example for us. And so this is a different look at the text than perhaps you're used to from me, and, and, and that I am going to be looking at it in terms of what's not there, but what should be there. I'm going to look at this text from the perspective of one who is in Christ and see what should be there. From Galatians 2, we we read that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So as, as one who has met Christ and been delivered by Christ, we live this life and this body by faith in Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. And so I'm going to look at this from that perspective of what should be there that's not there. 
And part of what I'm looking for that's not there is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so that's why I say that the God-changed heart overflows in gratitude, prayer, and discernment. And that is exactly what we don't see from Jacob. That's a really long introduction. So let's move into the, 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 the meat of this thing. The first part of this is to thank God for his kindly providences. Because that is, God's kind providence is revealed in this text. God is behind the scenes, quietly fulfilling his, his promises to a rather forgetful Jacob. Okay? God has protected Jacob on the long journey alone from Bethel. Okay? Remember, it's not a long car ride from Bethel. He's most likely walking. It would be as if Joseph, tomorrow morning, set off for San Diego on foot through the wilderness of the desert. Okay? That's about the same distance that he's traveling. Okay? Bye, Joseph. Hope it goes well at night. (laughs) Hope you're okay with the bandits and the scorpions and the tarantulas and the hyenas. Okay? There's no hyenas here. Sorry, wrong continent. (laughs) I meant to say javelinas, but javelinas really won't hurt you. They'll just run over you. But I guess that would hurt too. So, but anyway... uh, I hope it goes well with you. This is, the, this is what's happening. He's traveling on foot to San Diego through the wilderness, a desert-like wilderness. And he arrives safely, despite all of the hazards. God was keeping watch over Jacob, just like he promised. It's a kindly providence. He arrives safely, not just in the relative vicinity, but he arrives safely at a well that is outside of Haran at the right moment. If the shepherds aren't there, he doesn't know where he is. Remember, he has no map. There are no road signs. There's nothing that says Haran, 10 miles. There's no little sign that says, the well of Haran. I mean, you're dependent upon interacting with people to to know where you are. And he arrives at the right place at the right time while there are people there that he can talk to and ask. He had no little GPS in his iPhone to get him there. Okay, He's totally at God's mercy. Part of what happens is it's that it shows, in a sense, uh, God's providence, is that he comments later on, he's, he's wondering why the shepherds are actually there. He says, it is still high day. It means the sun is still high in the sky. What are you doing here? The flocks are supposed to be out there feeding. It's not time to water the flocks. Basically, these guys are being slackers. They're just hanging out by the well, you know, kind of waiting for all the rest of the flocks to come in. They're just shooting the bull. This is, I guess, is the of the water cooler experience. They're supposed to be out taking care of the flocks, and they're just hanging out by the the massive water cooler called the well. Okay, and yet in God's providence, that works for Jacob's benefit. Not only that, but Rachel herself shouldn't have been there. And yet, as he interacts with the shepherds, it's, oh yeah, look, here comes Rachel. 
Laban's daughter. There she is. But let's, let's pause for a moment and compare this with some other well incidents. Genesis 24. Remember when, the, when Abraham sends his servant out to get a wife for Isaac. Okay, we, we, we've gone over that before. It's a rather lengthy narrative, which is why we did not read over it this morning. Exodus 2, which we already heard this morning. And then John 4, when Jesus meets the woman at the well. All of four of those, someone is meeting their bride. But there's something that's characteristic about two of them, Genesis 24 and John 4. Lots of God talk. What's missing from this and from the account in Exodus 2 is there is no talk of God. He's not even mentioned. He's at work, but he's not mentioned. Okay? Genesis and I, this week, for because Jaden is in Bible study fellowship, and she has homework, I had to read to her Acts 10. And Acts 10 reminded me as I was reading of Genesis 24, because both of them laboriously repeat events that just happened. You know, you, you hear about the, the, the vision of Peter like four times in that passage. It just seems like that. It really isn't that many. But still, it just it's like... Okay, how about some economy of words here? You know? But there's a reason for the the repetition of these events because they're focusing on on God's words and his works. And, And Genesis 24 and Acts 10 wants you to understand certain things that are vitally important. That God was at work and that God did all of these things. And what you have here is everyone's clueless about the fact that God did these things. Okay? Jacob is glad to be there, wouldn't you? <laughs> Your journey's done. <laughs> you know, maybe no more nights out in the wilderness with a rock as your pillow. But we see his joy in that he embraces Rachel. And Laban, he kisses Rachel and Laban. So there is a there's a degree of joy there, but there is what's missing is there is no expression of gratitude to God for getting him there. Nothing. It's almost as if God does not exist. He's living like a functional atheist. Israel on the other hand, was to be grateful for God's providence in the exodus and in the conquest. Think of this from Deuteronomy, which is where my personal time in the Word is is right now. From Deuteronomy 4, which, uh, if any of you are on Facebook, it's funny because Leah Porter just was reading this and was all about Deuteronomy 4. Only take care... And keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And so they were to be keeping in mind that which God had done, which they, His works that they had seen, as well as His words promising what they were to do and what He would do. Again, from verse 31, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. 
He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. And so Jacob is essentially living in a spiritual amnesia. And and in Deuteronomy, God is telling them, don't live like Jacob. Remember. Be aware of, call back into mind what I have done for you and setting you free out of, out of Egypt. Keep in mind, keep in mind what I'm calling you to do now to enter into this promised land. Don't be forgetful that the same God who delivered you from Egypt is the God who goes with you into the promised land. They were not to be like Jacob, forgetful of these things. And so it is with us too. We are to see our story with the eyes of faith. We are to remember that the God who redeemed us upon the cross of Calvary is the same God who goes with us wherever we go. And so all of those kind providences ought to be met with joy and thanksgiving on our part. Not a mindlessness, not a forgetfulness, but of a, yes, God is at work for my good and his glory. Gratitude. Joy. And the eye is the eyes of faith and faith alone that, that see that. Okay? But if our fundamental identity, if, if we're operating out of the identity of the old man outside of Christ instead of the new person in Christ, it's natural for the unbeliever to not think about God and give thanks for anything. But it is unnatural for the Christian who is a child of God, who is um, part of the, the new priesthood, the chosen people, it is not natural for them to... Not praise God. I think I said that right. Yes, it is natural. Let's put it this way, a positive way. It is natural for them to praise God, to be grateful for his care concerning them. They see life as not just, oh, that accidentally turned out okay, but as God saved me and keeps me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Okay? So, God is quietly at work in our lives. Okay? He doesn't put neon signs up. He's quietly at work. We can miss Him, but faith sees it and rejoices. And so, there's, there's that gratitude, that thanking God for His kindly providence. Secondly, pray because you have God's promises. Okay? Jacob had promises, but here there's no indication of any prayer whatsoever on his part, which stands in complete contrast to what happened in Genesis 24, the servant of Abraham. He went there by faith, and he, he continually prays. For instance, uh, in verse 12, he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, Please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master, Abraham. The servant repeatedly prays. 
no indication of that for Jacob. He's living as if God is not a part of this process. Okay? He has God's promise of a wife. Okay, remember? His, his offspring are going to be like the dust of the earth, God told him in Bethel. He's got the promise of a wife, and he never prays that God would show him the right wife. He sort of assumes, well, you know, I'm going to Laban's house, you know, get Laban's daughter. That seems pretty simple, except, of course, Laban has two daughters. Okay? He gets the right one in a negative way, in a sense. Okay? Um, he gets the one who's going to show him who he really is. <laughs> he gets the wife that's going to bring him to his knees, who's going to unmake him. But unlike Abraham's servant, he's not testing her character. He's just accepting her as, as she comes, and, and he's blinded by her beauty. We don't see that in this, te- this part of the chapter, but later on in verse 17, we read, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Oh, he probably wishes the Proverbs had been written already so that he would know that charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. See, it's not just Jacob, who's not talking about God, it's also Laban and Rachel not talking about God. There seems to be no fear of God in her existence, which we'll see later comes to fruition when she steals her father's idols when they leave the house. There's no prayer because Jacob is relying upon himself. The lack of prayer shows a, is a sign of pride, is a sign of self-reliance. Prayer, on the other hand, is a tangible sign of our dependence upon God. The servant was depending upon God to bring to fruition his purposes for Isaac. Jacob isn't doing that. We see his self-reliance in that he rolled the stone. It's interesting that here, I mean, why are they waiting for all the flocks to arrive? Well, because it's a great stone. It's a heavy stone, and it required typically more than one person to roll it away, so you didn't want to leave one of the shepherds to try and roll it by himself. They waited till everyone came, and then they would roll together, they would roll the stone, water the flocks, and then roll the stone back. But Jacob displays incredible strength in that he rolls the stone all by himself. So he's depending upon his own strength. He's depending upon his own wits, just like he always has. He's still living as Jacob. He's just like Moses. What does Moses do? We heard that he killed the Egyptian, flees for his life, finds himself at a well, and he depends upon his own strength to chase the shepherds away who are harassing the daughters of uh, Ruel. And just like Jacob, there is no mention of God aside from those are the daughters of the priest of Midian. 
Israel was not to rely upon itself when it entered the the promised land. It was to, to rely upon the Lord their God to fight for them, the same one who had destroyed the armies of Egypt in the waters of the Red Sea. That's the one they were supposed to rely upon to vanquish their enemies in the promised land. How do you depend upon him? You pray. Lord, there's giants in the land. We have spies. They told us. We need you to to fulfill your promise to us. We should have courage in going in, but we're not going to defeat them in our own strength. We need you to fight for us, with us, through us. Okay, so the, from Exodus to conquest, they were supposed to be in prayer about all of these things. Recall Jacob's dream for a moment. God repeatedly said, I will, not you must. So it's, it's all what God is going to accomplish, not what Jacob was going to accomplish. Jacob was to, to prayerfully wait and obey. And that's the way it is for us as well. We are to patiently wait and obey. So the covenant promises are meant to lead us into prayer, that God would fulfill those promises. They're not things that we're supposed to fulfill, but he is supposed to fulfill, and we ask him to. That's part of what prayer is. To ask him to fulfill these things that he has promised. And so we need to be a prayerful people, individually and corporately. If we want to to look and see, oh yes, the promise of Christ, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Okay, yeah, we've got the promise. We need to pray that it becomes a reality. If we want the gospel to shape the lives of people in this congregation and beyond, like God says he wants to have take place, we need to be praying about that individually and corporately. I think that's a room for improvement for us. I think that's a place where we still need to grow. I know I'm not where I ought to be in this. I don't think most of us are where we need to be in this. And so prayer is partly petitioning God to keep his covenant promises to those who are in Christ. The third thing is to discern how God wants to change you. Jacob's character is displayed repeatedly by his assertiveness. Jacob is is really unaware of who he is and who others are. He's really sort of clueless. God is going to reveal things to him in the uh, chapters to come here. But interesting that Rachel is called a shepherdess. That's the only time that word is used in Scripture, a shepherdess. Now, we do see that when Moses shows up, the seven daughters of the priest of Midian are shepherding the flock, but they're not called a shepherdess. Okay? But they, they were. 
But typically, shepherds were male because shepherding is tough business. Okay? It's not a walk in the park. It's not walking your dog. Okay? Because, because you're having to deal with all kinds of wild animals. You can meet unruly people, bandits out there. So, you know, shepherding was not easy. You had to be a tough, determined person to be a shepherd. Okay? So there are very few women that were shepherds. So the question that comes to my mind is, why Rachel? Why is she shepherding the flock? Okay, uh, Jacob doesn't know this yet until he gets to the house, but she has an older sister. How come the older sister's not shepherding the flock? Well, it could be just because, well, she's the younger sister and... Everything flows down, and shepherding is not a good thing, and therefore she gets to do the shepherding, you know. I used to carry out, carry in the wood in my house uh, for the wood stove in the basement. I was the youngest, carrying the wood. I didn't like carrying in the wood. That's all right. It may be better. Um, <laughs> not bitter, better. Um, <laughs> just, in case you, just in case you got confused there. Okay? All right. But what about her brothers? We find later on that she has brothers, and we don't know how old they are, whether they're older or younger or what. Maybe they're younger, and they're not old enough to take care of the sheep. But you kind of wonder, why isn't it Laban? Why is it Rachel? There's no real sort of answer, but, but Jacob probably ought to be thinking about this as he begins to work his way into that family unit, that there might be problems there that he is going to encounter. This might be a symptom of a far bigger problem in Laban's household, which he is about to enter. Okay? She runs off, presumably not because he kissed her, but but she runs off, brings back Laban, who embraces him and kisses him, and it's a like a family reunion that's kind of going on. But, I, you know... Maybe it's because I've been a pastor too long, but I'm suspicious of Laban. <laughs> Maybe it's because I've read the Bible too much. I'm suspicious of Laban. <laughs> Does he think this will be like when the servant showed up with a lot of cash to bestow on Laban for the privilege of taking his sister, Rebecca back to the promised land? Don't you think that's probably running through his mind? Oh, I wonder what trinkets he's got for me this time. Much to his dismay, he finds that Jacob has no trinkets. <laughs> he's got nothing. Okay. They talk together. He shares what's going on. And, and we're not even sure what, what Jacob tells him, which, again, is, is interesting when you consider what happened in Genesis 24, where the servant just again and again and again keeps telling the whole story. Everyone he meets, he tells the whole story. We don't even know what story he tells. Maybe it's just sort of inside information of, oh, yeah, you know, you remember, Rachel, you know, how she does this certain thing when she eats this. Some, there was some sort of thing that clued him into Laban into the fact that Jacob really knew Rachel and that he really was her son. And so he exclaims, you are, get it right, my bone and flesh. 
You say, you're a part of me. You're part of my family. But there's sort of a double entendre that's going on there. Because not only is he of his flesh and blood, but he's cut from the same bolt of cloth. He is Jacob's equal. He has the same besetting sins that Jacob has. These guys are two peas in a pod, except they both want the whole pod. What neither of them understands at this moment, but will become very clear to them in the days to come, is that they are going to throw down for everything. They are going to try and supplant one another constantly. It will be a game of one-upmanship that is going to take place, which will have devastating effects upon this family, just as it had upon the family that Jacob left behind. It's not going to end well for Jacob in this family. Okay? But we see as well that Laban is also a spiritual chameleon. He's like one of those lizards that takes on the color of whatever it happens to be on. If it's on a green tree, it looks green. If it's on a brown tree, it looks brown so that you can't see it. He reflects the conversation of the person that he meets. He meets the servant of Abraham who's talking all about the Lord and what the Lord has done. And and he and Bethuel are going, oh yes, the Lord has done great things. He's talking all about the Lord. There's lots of God talk coming out of his mouth. He meets Jacob. God. He really didn't cling to that. But he fit in. That's what a chameleon does. A chameleon just sort of fits in. He was a spiritual chameleon. He fit in with whatever, whichever people he happened to be with. And the people of Israel had to run like the plague from spiritual chameleons. They were not to fit in with the people of the land. They were to conquer the people of the land. They were not to take on the religious practices and gods of the people of the land. They were to be distinctive and different and worship the true God, the living God, who is a consuming fire, Him and Him alone. Not only that, but Jacob is supposed to see his sin through Laban. Because, you know, don't we have a hard time seeing our sin but a fairly easy time seeing the sin of other people. Laban is like a mirror in which Jacob is able to see his own sin in another person. So that it can be, it's being, gonna be brought to the surface so that Jacob can repent and God can begin to deal with that sin. Okay? These are some of the things that God wants to change in Jacob, and he's preparing Jacob for this by having him meet Laban, his uncle. I got this, I don't know what I have on my hand. <laughs> Whether something bit me or boil, or a staph infection, MRSA, I have no idea what it was. But uh, yesterday someone uh, um, recommended that I put 
ichthamol, on it. I call it the black oil because I watched too much X-Files when I was younger. Um, <laughs> I had never heard of this thing. Okay, it's a it's an old home remedy, is what it is, and it's sold over the over the over the counter, but behind the counter <laughs> at the pharmacist. You have to actually ask the pharmacist. They go get it and they bring it out and you buy it. And um, but what this thing does apparently, and it, it seems to have done what it was supposed to do uh, last night, is that it draws because it draws the blood system, the blood to that wound. It draws up all the poison, all the infection, all that. It brings it to the surface so it can be removed. Okay? So what it did is it broke down the top layers of my skin and sort of sucked up the stuff that was down there and couldn't get out. Laban is going to bring all the sin to the surface of Jacob so that it can be removed. There are going to be people in your lives that that is their purpose. To reveal your sinfulness. In fact, every relationship is going to, if if it's a meaningful relationship at all, is going to reveal your sinfulness. Your spouse, your children, your parents the annoying guy three cubicles down, all are there in part for you to see your own sin through their sin. That's why Jesus says, take the log out of your eye, then deal with the splinter in theirs. But we always sort of deal... It's easier to see theirs. Let's go after their sin. Let's call them to repentance. But we'd never stop and kind of go, well, hey, man, what's my own problem? And usually it's very similar to their problem. I don't think this is politics because these people are not politicians. But that's part of what bugs me about the occupation movement. Yeah. They're pointing at greed but they're also not pointing at greed. They're very concerned about everybody's greed but their own. Let's be concerned about both. These things arise so that we can see ourselves and turn in repentance and seek God. Israel was to see their sinful tendencies through Jacob, their tendency to rely upon themselves and to not trust God. But God has this funny way of doing that, and so that's why it requires discernment. What's going on here? What is it I need to repent of? And so, as as we live in this um, as we seek to live out our identity in Christ, our new identity in Christ, you know, if we want to put it this way, we're no longer sinner, now saint, we, we don't ignore the fact that we sin. But neither do we want to be defined by our sin. Okay? Note, note the difference there? We, we don't want to live in ignorance of it, but neither is it 
Does it define who we really are? Christ and his grace are supposed to define who we are. That's why I struggle with 12-step movements. Hi, my name is Steve and I'm an alcoholic. If I see my primary identity as an alcoholic, then that is going to define me. And I will be stuck in that for as long as I live. See the danger that is there? That's the old man. New creation in Christ. Yeah, the, the sin still exists, but, but the reason I repent is because it's, no, it's, it's living out of step with who I am in Christ. So don't ignore the reality of your sin, but don't, be, don't, don't define your life by it. So all of us live out of the identity that is deepest in our hearts at any given moment. Jacob continues to live as the supplanter. He is oblivious to God's words and his works in his life. He's oblivious to his own sin. And we're like that when we live out an identity outside of Christ, separate from Christ. But if we live from our new identity in Christ, saint, son, chosen people, holy nation, royal priesthood, if we live out those identities that are ours in Christ, we will grow in gratitude in His providence. We will grow in prayer based on His promises. And, and we will deepen in our repentance in areas where God wants to change us. This is a distinctly Christian spirituality that rests upon Christ and his work. This is not a self-improvement. So I have this question. Whose life are you living? Are you living by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you? Is that how you, is that the identity you seek to live out in your daily existence? Or are you still trying to live out the old guy? Relying upon self, selfish. That's an important question for us to ask. Why don't we pray? Father, um, indeed, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Not perfectly yet. For um, we, we await the return of Christ, and, and the, the renovation of, of the cosmos for all of it to be changed. But yet you have made us new. But we struggle precisely because it, it's not all yet. We struggle to live as these new people in Christ. We find ourselves living as if we were still that old person outside of Jesus, somehow apart from grace, not depending upon you, but relying upon self living according to our deceitful desires and not the truth. And so we ask that you would continue to renew us so that we can live out of this new identity as your people. Free us from living as slaves to sin, to Satan and self. 
precisely because we have been crucified with Christ, we no longer live. But the life we do live in the body, we live by faith in Him who loved us and died for us and made us co-heirs with Him. And so we ask this in His name. Amen.